the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us part of your day. Uh, we're going to talk to Brian Taylor here momentarily from Real Golf Radio. We'll talk to him about uh, Tiger Woods. Um, there's currently a, a press conference going on, Gordon. Not sure what uh, the info is yet on the update with Tiger. We'll keep an eye on that. But uh, um, there was a, an update coming from the L.A. Police Department, so or L.A. County, I think it is. So we'll keep folks up to date. But it, it does not, the, the report has been out there that his injuries are not life-threatening. So that's really, uh, really good news. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've just been reading about some of the things uh, about the accident that were coming from the uh, from the L.A. Times. And uh, it says that uh, he was, uh, according to their sources, the vehicle, and this is a quote, was traveling at a high rate of speed. And, uh, and then it says, and, quote, lost control of the vehicle before crossing the center divider. All right, let's get out of <clears throat> excuse me the zone phone. Joining us now, you hear him every Saturday morning uh, alongside Bob Casper, of course, on Real Golf Radio. He's our friend Brian Taylor. Hey, BT, how are you? Man, this is uh, this is a wild one. This is not something that we expected to be talking about in the middle of a of a week. You know, around Tiger Woods and not uh, relating to golf. Am I seeing uh, we've kind of got this this press conference going simultaneously, BC? But but am I seeing that uh, they're saying that impairment was not not an issue? That's what they that's what they indicated that they didn't find uh, their initial uh, findings was that there was not impairment. So um, we'll we'll see as this continues to go. Like I said, it's literally unfolding as we're talking here. But um, I, I think you know. I mean, I, again, I hate to speculate, but I it, it seems like the the the, the language they're using suggests that the injuries were severe. Um, we we know from that it was to his legs that he was coherent and he was talking to medical, you know, first arrivers and that type of thing. Um, but uh, Bryson DeChambeau on the Golf Channel said he was talking to some of Tiger's people and mentioned that uh, he was in surgery for his legs and it was pretty bad, and he used the word broken. Again, um, that's just what Bryson mentioned uh, at the WGC event in Florida so um, looking at that vehicle wouldn't surprise you to think that there was, uh, was some broken bones there, but I'm uh, just thankful that it wasn't worse. If we can assume that Tiger's going to be okay as far as his overall health goes, easy for us to say, right, as he's uh, fighting through this surgery. And I wonder whether what effect this will have on his uh, ability to play golf, uh, BT. What do you, what do you th- I know, you're not a doctor, I know, but... You know, you got to wonder a little bit. You do wonder, of course. You got to wonder, and you know, let's not forget he's in the middle of rehab from a fifth back surgery um, that took place just before Christmas. So, we had already started talking on the radio show about you know when might we see Tiger come back? Uh, Bay Hill, where he's won what six, seven times. Um, you know, was it was something to be discussed, which is a week from now. But um, he was eligible to play in the WGC event this week, and he's not in that. And then. You know, on, on the broadcast during the Genesis where he's the host at Riviera Country Club, he mentioned to Jim Nance that he's, you know, he's just still doing mundane stuff in the gym, not really uh, hitting any golf balls or doing any golf-related things, which now starts to make you look forward to April and Augusta. And, that, and of course, that was all prior to today's accident. And so um, I, I would guess that this is, you know, going to be, let's just assume, like you said, that he's okay um, that it's a matter of uh, fixing some broken bones and, you know, some things like that. Um, those will heal. 
And let's hope that, you know, I don't know. I don't know what that means is not being a doctor a year from now. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we might be able to see Tiger Woods, but I'm just hopeful that we'll be able to see him play again and that it doesn't end, you know, with this type of a story. I, I can't help but think about, you know, Ben Hogan back in 1950. Uh, maybe you guys have already mentioned this, but, you know, he and his wife were hit by a Greyhound bus uh, in 1949. And they believed he would, you know, he was lucky to be alive. In fact, it was an amazing story where he actually leaned over to protect his wife. And had he not leaned over to the passenger seat to protect his wife, would have been crushed by the steering wheel. And, and he came back, ironically, um, to, to return to golf at the L.A. Open at Riviera the following year in 1950 and then went later on to win the U.S. Open at Marion that summer. So, you know, I mean, there's, there's certainly Tiger has, has shown us that he's a fighter, that he's strong, that he's able to come back from a lot of things. And here's hoping that maybe it'll be a, a similar chapter still to, to come in Tiger's book. Just a little aside on that. Where where did that accident take place, uh, BT, uh, Ben Hogan? Do you, do you remember? I, I think it was in Texas, if I'm not was mistaken. It? That's where his home was, yeah. Okay. Uh, Brian Taylor with us. BT, I want to talk to you about kind of the evolution of Tiger Woods because I think his entire career – um, has has had obviously a lot of ups and downs, uh, but you've been covering golf uh, for most of, if not all, of Tiger's career, and it seems to me that this Tiger Woods that has emerged since you know what you might call the low point is DUI arrest a few years ago. It's it's interesting to me because he laughs and he has fun, and you look at uh, I saw that interview with Jim Nance uh, just over the weekend where he had a smile on his face. I mean, all these things that were not the Tiger. Uh, that we got to know back in the early 2000s. Talk about kind of the evolution of him as a person. Yeah, it's a really good point, Jake. I mean, he's it, and it's noticeable. Um, you know, he he used to be this mysterious closed figure. Uh, he would use this um, I don't know susp- uh, amount of uh, anonymity and uh, suspense or what have you, uh, mysteriousness as part of his his way to intimidate his opponents, perhaps. I'll never forget being, you know, when Bob first took me out to the Masters 20 years ago, and it was a rain delay, and we were standing in front of the clubhouse under the veranda out of the rain, and all the players and caddies were there, and and Tiger came walking through, and literally everybody stopped. This is back, you know, when Tiger was just sort of immortal and, and doing things that people never thought would be done in golf, and everybody stopped and watched him. I mean, literally just followed him as he went by and passed, Tiger never looked left, never looked right, never said hi, and just went right through everybody. And and now, I mean, he is like he's like the you know Mr. Gregarious. I mean, he's saying hi to people. You know, he's being friendly. He's joking. Uh, there's pictures, you know, of course, when he played with with his son Charlie and the way he was so excited at the father and son in December and cheering him on and. That, you know, that, that whole idea, everything was so private about Tiger before, and some of the reasons we found out later why, I guess. But, you know, he certainly seems a lot more human, and ten, at least on, on my limited, you know, association with him would lead me to believe that he's, you know, becoming more – he's enjoying more of life in general rather than just focusing with an amazing, intense laser focus on becoming the greatest and being the greatest golfer ever to play the game. Ryan, did you see the HBO doc on uh, Tiger, uh, re- the recent one earlier? When was it? January, I think it came out. Did you see that? I actually didn't watch it. Oh, okay. I just wondered yeah. what your impression was. Yeah, I did Cause... see uh, his agent's response was that this was just another way for someone to try to capitalize on Tiger's fame. They weren't blessing it, and I guess that means they weren't making any money at it. I don't know, but um, it, it, I, I just haven't had the chance to watch it.
So if you were to describe what you were talking about earlier, his his impact on golf, his life story, and uh, his uh, his personal journey, uh, how how would you characterize it? I, I think Tiger's the complete game changer. I think everything we're seeing today, including Tony Finau. I mean, he's acknowledged how many times that 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 1997 Masters changed. Tony's life. It was watching that that was the first time he ever considered playing golf. And now look what he's doing out there. And, you know, Bryson DeChambeau has mentioned similar things. I mean, most of the players, Justin Thomas, these guys, they are out there doing what they're doing because of what Tiger Woods went out and did. And, you know, when Tiger jumped on the scene, you know, the interview with Curtis Strange, hey, what, what are your expectations? And he's like, to win. And Curtis laughed at him and, and said, you'll learn. And, you know, that was the mentality. You used to have to come out on tour and you had to pay your dues. You had to be out there for a while before you ever thought about winning. And uh, you certainly don't win majors until you're in your 30s. That's when guys start winning majors. And Tiger came right out as, you know, 20 years old and starts winning tournaments, you know, uh, right away in his first couple of months when he only had sponsors' invitations to play on tour and then just continued to dominate, of course, and uh, set all kinds of records. And I think that's what you're seeing with today. You're seeing a level of fitness that Tiger brought to the game, a level of athleticism, a level of um, um, domination. Uh, there's less fear around winning, and players are winning early, and they're winning often. And so I, I think he's had a major impact not only on the tour players and how they go about doing their business, but bringing people to the game, the, the, the popularity of the game of golf. All of that has, has been a direct um, impact that Tiger Woods has had and uh, I think it will continue to, to be that way, you know, despite anything else that goes on off the, the course, Tiger's been huge for this game. BT, I don't mean for this question to sound callous. I hope it doesn't, because I've, I've actually had this thought in my mind for several years now, and, and you know, even going back further, but is, is golf prepared for a world without Tiger Woods? Uh, can they um, maintain their, the momentum that they've so developed during his career? Yeah, I think it's a good question, Jake. I mean, that's not, I don't think it's callous at all. I mean, when you have, uh, and I don't think it's necessarily unique to, to golf. I, I'm sure that that question was asked when, you know, uh, Bird and Magic, you know, left the game. I'm sure it was asked when, you know, I know it was asked when Jordan left the game. I was doing your stuff back then. And, and you know, so, I, you know, what about Kobe? What about Shaq? I mean, it just seems like now what about LeBron? I, and, and I think what you see is you have – these once-in-a-generational type of players in whatever sport you might be a fan of. And rather than worrying so much about who's going to be the next so-and-so, I think what it does is it gives you a great appreciation for what they were able to do or continue to be able to do. And in the meantime, you start to realize that the, the, the things I just talked about, the fringe um, results of their greatness rubs off and inspires other athletes to then – chase after that greatness and the bar just continues to get raised higher and higher you could make a point or an argument that today's players out there are more talented the fields are deeper than they were when tiger came out and some of the players with their talent today and the equipment and their strength and their training if they came out in 1997 might they have blitzed a pga tour that was unsuspecting of that kind of an uh, of a of an onslaught if you will from what tiger did now i don't want to suggest that anyone could do what tiger did because he's that special but my point is is i think you're going to continue to see great stars great athletes that will um will be able to carry the torch 
Maybe it's by committee for a while before that next one sort of emerges. But I think the game will be in good shape. And um, not, not just because Tiger's not here anymore, but because he was there. Same as when Jack and, and Arnold and the rest of the guys that laid the foundation. It's just another layer, and he certainly elevated the game. You know, uh, uh, BT, when you were talking about the shift in Tiger moving from one phase of his life to another, how did the how did the PGA Tour uh, guys how, how did they view him? Obviously, with respect, for, like you were talking about, for everything that he's done and the way he helped build the thing up. But did they view him as, and I'm talking in the past tense, I, I don't mean to make it sound that way, but do, do they view him, did they view him as as the fierce tiger of, uh, of, of yesteryear, or do they view him as just a guy? Uh, how did they approach him? Yeah, I think there was, I think there was a lot of intimidation early on, kind of in that story, like I shared with you about the Masters, um, you know, around 2000 time frame. Uh, you know, Tiger was, uh, he wasn't out there to make friends. I've, I've shared this story before, and it's really the only personal one-on-one -on -one interaction I've ever had with him in private. But, you know, um, Bob's dad, Billy Casper, uh, took us up to the champion's locker room at Augusta, and I think it was in 2005. And Tiger had just earlier that year come out that he'd had knee surgery. And this was, again, this was before Twitter, and um, we didn't know things as often or as soon as we used to know, and Tiger loved privacy. So, all of a sudden, we find out he comes back at uh, Torrey Pines, and he, he, oh, by the way, I had knee surgery, and he goes on to win. And, you know, it's just, it's crazy. And he had just won, like, three or four tournaments the year before, and apparently it had a bad knee, and nobody knew it. And I asked him about it. I said, hey, Tiger, I said, we're, so we're, Tiger's the only one in the champion's locker room, except for Bob and Billy and, and, and me. And I can't help myself, because I've always been that way, and I just start talking to, <laughs> to Tiger. And I'm just like, hey, how did... Uh, how did nobody know? How was it possible that you were struggling with your knee so badly that you required surgery and no one knew it? And he looked at me with this stare and I'll never forget it. And, and he almost like he was looking right through me. It was, it was this, it was massively intimidating. And he said, never let your opponents know you're hurt to hell with them. And I, and that was it. And then he went on to talking about whatever, but I just remember being so impressed by that particular level of, focus, um, competitiveness that I thought, you know what, at the time Phil hadn't won a major yet. So maybe this was in two, I don't know, maybe he had just won one or so. And I remember telling Bob, Phil doesn't have that. Like there, Phil's way nicer than Tiger is. Like he doesn't have that killer instinct. And I just, I, I think that's the way he came off to the rest of the tour pros. There was a bit of a cold shoulder. Remember Marco Mira was kind of the only one that was really in the inner circle. And um, and now I, I, it's much different. Tigers, you know, actually reaching out to this younger generation and helping them and and uh, having an impact on them. So I do think it's been uh, uh, a bit of a, an evol evolution for for Tiger with his uh, the way he interacts with the other tour pros. One more thing I wanted to sneak in real real quick, BT is didn't Tiger favor Utah for a while as far as a play? He I know he had some surgeries here. He used to like go come fishing here. Does he does he still have a connection with the state at all? You know I I I, I think he still uses some of the doctors up in Park City. You know when he needs to for for his knees and and things like that. But um, I. You know, Omira was kind of his place. He would come and crash at Omira's place 
up there at Tuhay and, and Park City area. So um, and go fishing with Mark. I don't know how much he does that anymore, but um, I, I guess I can't answer that. I haven't heard that he's been in Utah a whole lot lately, but yeah, that was kind of his uh, Dr. Cooley up there in Park City. We did a lot of his surgeries and. I ended up having my knee done up there, and we, we visited a little bit about it. But there's, yeah, he apparently they're really, really good docs. So, uh, and Tiger went, went up there to get that done. BT, thank you very much for coming on, giving us a little perspective today, talking about Tiger. I know it's a tough story, but we appreciate you. You got it. And uh, super excited to listen to you guys talking about the jazz and uh, see how that continues to unfold as well. And then, yeah, of course, we wish Tiger a speedy recovery, and we'll continue to find out more information. Thanks, yeah, BT. BT you st- are you still? How's the golf game? You still scratch? <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm quite a scratch, but um, I appreciate that. It's it's okay. It's in hibernation right now. I'm anxious to <laughs> get some meltage so I can get out and try it out again. But yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, BT. We appreciate you. You got it. That's our friend Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio, every single Saturday morning. They, those guys do it year round. They've been doing it for a long, long time, and I'm I'm actually uh, uh, eager to hear what they have to say about uh, Tony Finau this weekend, as he had a rough weekend. Well, is it really rough if he finished second? Well, he had the great showing, uh, but uh, when's he going to win a playoff? When's he going to win again? It hasn't it been since 2016. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. a great golfer. Who, who typically has terrific results, but uh, you know Tony's probably eager to to win one of these tournaments. Yeah, he still won a million bucks. <laughs> okay, all right. You know but that's he... that's the thing with those golfers. Like I get it. You know, you'd be crushed losing in a playoff, and man, it'd be it'd be really hard. Because I watched it. I watched it live, and I was thinking those same things. And then you have to remind yourself, like he still made a million bucks over the weekend. That softens the blow quite a bit, don't you think? I I suppose. What do you mean, I suppose? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, how can you ignore that kind of payoff? But but still, he wants to win, Jake. He wants to win. Yeah, right. But, I mean, you know, if Austin wants to give me a million dollars to kick me in the groin, you know, (laughs) I get kicked in the groin. But you know what? Still have a million bucks. Oh, okay, now I'm just everyone's thinking about that a million bucks for. I mean, yeah, how, so, how how hard a kick are you talking about? I'm just I'm just saying, feel bad for Tony, but don't feel bad for Tony. <laughs> I mean, are you talking full on boot toe first? It doesn't matter. He he could use Doc Martens. I don't care for a million bucks. As long as he gives me that million bucks, I'll be fine. There could be some irreparable damage. Don't done care. There. That's all right. We'll be fine. Okay, if you say so. Million bucks, Gordon. So feel bad for Tony, but don't, you know, feel bad for Tony. (laughs) Whatever you say. I'm still going to feel a little bad for him. Oh, yeah, then you remind yourself you just made a million bucks. Yeah, but a million million bucks. I mean, what's a million bucks to Tony? Plenty. It's a million bucks to anybody. You have this. Anyway, we've got a guest coming up next, so we'll just stop this the argument from spiraling, spiraling out of control. Jeff Calkins joins us next, covered Mike Conley for a long, long time in Memphis. We'll talk to him about the prospect of Mike making the All-Star Game. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Oh, we have some breaking news, Gordon. Uh, Sham Sharania tweeting out, we've got the West and Eastern Conference All-Star Reserves early. Uh, we're going to talk to our friend Jeff Calkins coming up here in a moment. But uh, here's uh, your Western Conference Reserves. Chris Paul, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis. For the Eastern Conference, James Harden, Julius Randle, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic. Okay. So no Mike Conley as uh, at least announced today as an all-star reserve. Again, I, I'm betting he gets named as a replacement. But there, there are your all-star reserves. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, of course, is expected both on there. Any major complaints other than the local tie here? We understand that. But anything else that stood, stood out to you as being either really right or really wrong? You know, I'd have to think a little bit harder about the Eastern Conference before I really could answer that. But the West, I don't think so. Um, I mean, maybe some people out there think Zion's getting the benefit of the doubt because he's Zion. But, I mean, he's having a good year. New Orleans is good enough to have a representative, I think. Um, Anthony Davis is always going to make it. Damian Lillard, of course, is always going to make it. Chris Paul and Paul George. Maybe Chris Paul was a little bit unexpected, I guess. But When I look at these names, Jake... I, I just think, okay, what what do they have in common? One thing they have in common is just they are extraordinary from a standpoint of when they're in the game, you almost have to, if not center the game around them, at least uh, treat them as they are exceptional in every way. And so, I mean, I, you know, that does sort of stand them apart. I take it back. You know what? You know who got snubbed? Devin Booker. Got snubbed oh, by his yeah. own teammate, Chris Paul. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think Devin Booker has a gripe, actually, now come to think of it, now that we process that a little bit more. All right, uh, let's get out to the zone phone. Joining us now, uh, he's a columnist at the Daily Memphian. He's also the host of the Jeff Calkins Show. He is Jeff Calkins with us here on The Big Show. Hi, Jeff. How are you guys? Hey, we're, we're doing just great. Um, I'm not sure if you caught it. It, was, it just came out uh, moments ago that uh, the All-Star Reserves were leaked through Sham Sharania for the West. Chris Paul, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Zion Williamson, Anthony Davis. No Mike Conley, um, at least for now. I think some Jazz fans will be disappointed. But uh, your, your reaction? Well, it's funny because I got your producer texted me and earlier and asked if I'd come on and said that, you know, there was some belief that he would make the all-star team. And I sort of had looked at it and thought, eh, I don't know. Like I, I, it, it's awfully tough in the West, which has been the Mike Conley's curse for forever. Um, you know, it, I, I wish desperately Mike uh, would make, you know, would make the all-star team. It is what he, you know, one of the things he may say it doesn't bother him or whatever else, but it clearly does. He's one of the all-time great guys, and I think is universally considered to be the best player never to make an All-Star team. But that is not a title that he would that he savors. And um, and if he doesn't make it, I uh, 
you know, I, uh, I think that's too bad, but I, I can't call it an injustice. Like which of those players, um, you know, would you bump for him necessarily? So I don't know that it's an injustice. I think that, um, but I do think it is an injustice that he has never made an all, all-star team and is really a product of the fact that he has been in the West during this extraordinary time. Jeff, you've probably written the Mike Conley story, uh, but if you were to write it off the top of your head right now, what, what, how would it go? Well, the quintessential Mike Conley moment, of course, was um, when the Grizzlies were um, playing Golden State um, in the playoffs. They had previously played and, and, and beaten Portland, and during the course of that series, Mike was, um, you know, kneed in the face, essentially, elbowed in the face, I guess, and and smashed his, you know, his, his, all manner of bones in his face. And um, so he misses the rest of that series. The Grizzlies can win anyway. And the extraordinary pain that he was under, the extraordinary efforts that he did to try to be get back on the court – Grizzlies get run off the court in game one at Golden State. And so then on game two, there's this holy smokes. Mike's going to try to play. And um, he comes out and he's wearing this mask and it's fogging up and he's going through warm-ups and like everyone is totally wrapped attention as to whether he's going to try to play. I mean, he this was not a modest injury he had suffered. It was truly severe. And um, – and not only did he play, on the day when Steph Curry was given the MVP award, everyone came out to see Steph get his MVP award on that day. Um, he was tremendous and led the Grizzlies to a, uh, an inspiring victory. Tony Allen called him the masked assassin. And it was just one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen from an athlete. And this is from a guy who was when he came to Memphis, he was sort of the booby prize in that draft. You know, that was the that was the Greg Oden, Kevin Durant, uh, Al Horford was the third pick, and then Mike Conley. The Grizzlies had the worst record in the league, and instead of getting the privilege of, of drafting Durant or Oden at the time, Oden, of course, was considered the big prize, they fall all the way to four. It's devastating. I can't believe it. And you get um, – Odin's sidekick from Ohio State, this point guard who had you know, never, never thought of himself as a one and done, but because of what he'd done and what Ohio State really did that first year, elevated himself in the draft. And then even his first year, he didn't, for whatever wacky reason, Mike, Mike, Mark Averoni didn't play him in home games. He only played him in road games. And he was mocked openly on the radio. There was a radio host here who would just mock him for dribble, 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 because he'd be dribble the ball too much, and he was not particularly effective. And he turned himself into – he never he never complained. He never lashed out. He was gracious throughout um, his entire time here, beloved in the community, deeply involved with the sickle cell uh, stuff at Labonner Children's Hospital, um, truly – um, one of the classiest players you ever want. But then on top of it, to see his courage and determination as exemplified by that Golden State game, um, he's just one of the just one of the tremendous people I've ever covered. 
Jeff, I want to ask you about uh, Conley's um, stay here with the Jazz. I think last we had you on was when the trade actually happened and, and we got your thoughts. And, and since then, of course, you know, Jazz fans thought that uh, that he was going to just hit the ground running and take the Jazz to the next level. And it didn't exactly happen that way for a variety of reasons, uh, injury being one of them. And then in the bubble, it seemed to click. And this year, I mean... He's just he's just playing out of this world. What what of, of your th- what are your thoughts on his uh, his journey as a jazz member? Yeah, I did. Um, I think we all thought here that he would he would fit in perfectly there and be the perfect addition. And um, it obviously, I think, what is happening this year is what we imagined would happen right off the bat. Like this is what we saw. That you know, sure, you have to give up a bundle of draft picks and whatever else to get him, but he's going to be perfect for this team. And I think. Now we're seeing that. I think in retrospect, you look back at last year and maybe playing all those years, the way he played all those years in Memphis, you do have to unlearn some things and relearn some other. Like the Grizzlies played in a specific way, right? They were, they had heavies, you know, they were Mark and, and Zebo, and, uh, and, and Mike geared his game towards them. And so I think it's possible that, that that and not only that he you know he knew one city he knew one culture he knew one and so it's possible that just the the adjustment was maybe we should have foreseen that it would take a little more and then you layer on injuries on top of it of course that that it would have taken a little more to adjust but I've been thrilled to see that this year he's the Mike that we expected him to be out there. Jeff, what do you make of what the Jazz are doing as a whole this year? Any thoughts there? Well, it's, it's damn impressive, you know. Um, it's incredibly impressive, and uh, obviously, um, um, and I have a cohort here who comes on with me every day, Chris Harrington, who who picked the Jazz actually last year to be the best team in the West, and they weren't. Um, and then obviously the question is, but they are this year, and and the question is 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 he does that translate right when push comes to shove? when you don't have the, you know, you do not have LeBron in the end um, and you don't have Anthony Davis in the end, is this collection, this team, this quintessential team uh, built around, you know, three extraordinary players, obviously, and, and Donovan Mitchell and, and Mike and Rudy Gobert, is this, is this team good enough? Um, can, it, can it, you know, can it come out of the West? Obviously, the Lakers injuries, you know, make it more likely um, but I think it's – I would love to see it. It's not the model, though. It's not the typical model you see. Although the Heat showed us last year, not dissimilar, really, in some ways, that that you can actually – a collection of really good players who play really well together can do great things in the postseason. But that has not historically been what happens in the postseason. Historically, the three best players in the league are the five – you know, are the ones who, 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 who go the furthest. And so – um, I think it's fun to watch what you all have been doing, and I think it's really intriguing to think about what it what it might look like when we get to the playoffs. Jeff, we really appreciate you making a few moments for us. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yep. Bye. Bye. That's our friend uh, Jeff Calkins. Um, he writes for the Memphian. He also uh, host of the Jeff Calkins Show. Uh, calling to give us a little a little perspective. Interesting, he thought the same thing a lot of jazz fans thought about Mike Conley that he would yeah. really hit the ground running and <laughs> and it uh, just didn't work out that way. But uh, he is certainly he is certainly playing well now, All Star berth or not.
I've always found that fascinating, the whole idea, Jake, that because he had been such a veteran, people thought he would make the adjustment uh, even quicker than ordinary. But it actually could have worked uh, in the exact opposite way, where he was so entrenched in what he'd been doing that that's, that was kind of how he played basketball. Well, he's then coaching. Comes, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Then he comes to the Jazz, and he's he's playing with different players, and and Quinn wants him to play a little differently, and he's got to adjust all that. I I I think we were kind of mixed up a little bit. Yeah, thinking the way we did, and we all did think that way. At least everybody I know thought, and and people who really know basketball thought he would it would be uh, an easy transition for him. No, not so. Well, I always thought that he was going to have to fit in with Donovan and Rudy. That if, if, you know, out of those three, you know, somebody was going to have to adjust what they were used to, it was obvious, obviously going to be Mike Conley. I, I think I underestimated how difficult that trans- transition was going to be for him. But what, what I think it does say, Gordon, is how coachable Mike Conley is. You know, I think I, I'm trying to – maybe you can think of a better example than this. Uh, but what comes to mind, you remember when Allen Iverson went to Denver – after he left Philly and they traded him to Denver. And he just wasn't the player that he used to be with the 76ers. Still good, but not great. And he ruffled some feathers there in Denver because he still wanted to play AI ball. (laughs) Uh And it didn't work, you know? Uh, They had a a moderate amount of success, but it didn't really work because he wasn't... He was going to come in and he's Allen Iverson and he's been in Philly and he went to the finals and he's been doing the same thing you know, forever, and he came in and didn't necessarily adjust to what the Nuggets had going, more said, all right, you guys fit in around me. You know, Mike didn't do that. He came in and he said, okay, how can I fill a role on this team? And how do I need to adapt to what I'm doing to to be the most successful? And it, I I think that that's very adult. You know, I admire him for that. That's That takes, you know, it'd be easy for Mike Conley to say, I'm Mike W. Conley, thank you very much. Uh, I've been doing it at a high level for a long time, and you guys are gonna, you know, uh, sit down and pay attention. You might just learn something. You know, that wasn't you, his. That wasn't his take all along. Do you think that the AI's problem? Some of it was that he wasn't the same player he once was. Not only the having to change up the way he played, but yes, he wasn't. It's, he wasn't quite as good. Because remember, the reason I bring that up is because we were wondering that for a while last year too with Mike Conley. Right, but but um, you know what? But this I, year, this year, not so much. I mean, he wasn't all. I think it was all NBA defensive team, uh, second team or something. Back in the day, and and maybe his defense was uh, lagging a little bit because he wasn't as young as he once was. But this year, Quinn has complimented him on, on numerous occasions for the defensive effort. So, I'm more mean. Uh, I get what you're saying about the game slipped because I don't know. If, certainly not now. If you can make that argument about Mike Conley, more that he wasn't the number one anymore. Yeah, you know, Mike was the number one in Memphis, and he he was never going to be the number one with the Jazz for obvious reasons. And Allen Iverson wasn't going to be the number one anymore with yeah. with the Nuggets, and and it just didn't really work. So I, you make an interesting point about the diminished skills, but I'm more thinking adjustment of roles. Maybe is that fair? Yeah, no, I think it is. All right, uh, we've got the Not Sports Port coming up next. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 of the Zone. Number one. Because you're number one. Presets.
The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotting and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Oh, hey guys, Jake here for my friends at Zero Res. And I'll tell you with the, the snow coming and going and coming and going, it melts, it gets wet, things get muddy, dirt gets brought into the house all the time and that dirt it gets deep down into your carpets your carpets are actually the biggest filter in your house and uh, that dirt and allergens those sorts of things get all the way down in your carpets where your vacuum is never going to get it and that's where my friends at zero res come in because they are amazing they've got the best carpet cleaning system in the business and it's been lab tested proven to remove more soils and bacteria than the other guys and since they use that powered water technology it actually uses less water leaving less water behind meaning you get back to normal earlier and get the, your furniture back and uh, squared away and of course no residue carpet cleaning uh, they don't use soaps or shampoos uh, things that leave residue that attracts dirt back into your carpets it means that your carpets are going to get cleaner and they are going to stay cleaner longer I've been using them for over a decade and they are amazing their customer service can't be beat and the deal right now is incredible I don't know if I've ever seen a deal from Zero Res this good listen up right now you pay just $25 per room cleaned now you've got to clean at least three but they're going to do it at $25 per room cleaned amazing deal call them today 801-288-9376 tell them you heard it uh, from jake on the zone they're going to hook you up with that great price $25 per room cleaned 801-288-9376 that's 801-288-zero check this out and now your not sports report on 97.5-1280 the zone and the zone sports network This one goes out to Travis on a Total Request Tuesday fun songs. It's time for the Not Sports Port, brought to you by the LHM Used Cars Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online, lhmusedcars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're going to, uh, well, we're going to Idaho. But uh, we're going to a potentially expanded Idaho. Have you seen this story about how Certain parts of uh, Oregon and California, southern and eastern Oregon, as well as uh, a northern part of California, are interested in joining Idaho, changing states, changing the border, as it were. There's a group out there called Greater Idaho that has uh, gotten uh, petitions signed uh, for two Oregon counties. And uh, I guess uh, the proposal is called Move Oregon's Border. It's because some of the people in that area uh, identify more with the rural values, quote unquote, of, uh, of Idaho. So they want to change the border of the states. Now, to, for this to happen, they would, uh, would have to gain approval from all the legislatures 
of the three states, Oregon, Idaho, and California. Or win a war. And, and from Congress. <laughs> no war, just, just a, a, a movement of certain counties into Idaho. Now, a couple questions with this. The first one is, when's the last time anything like that ever happened? Well, there's one here locally I can give you if you really want. Well, okay, what is it? Haven't, hasn't the state of Utah been desperately trying to give uh, East Wendover to Nevada for decades? <laughs> and Nevada won't take it. No, I'm serious. What? I, yeah, I'm serious. It's been, a, it's been a controversy for a long, long time that, uh, you know. Isn't it more so that East Wendover wants to be out? Well, yeah, that's the thing is yeah, the, because yeah, of the services really are so yes. far away from the Utah part. And I think Nevada doesn't want the burden of the services or whatever <laughs> because it's not, I don't know, but it's it, not it, doing them any good, I guess. But it's more East Wendover is like we, we, people come to Wendover to go to, to the Nevada Wendover side. We can't do it right. here. Mm-hmm. Well, but, okay, uh, so yeah, have them. But anywho, my my other thought on this is how bad must it be going in those two states if they want to become Idaho? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want to go there, really? I mean, how bad must it be going uh, if you're trading in your Oregon Ducks green for some Boise State blue? <laughs> it must be going. It must be, I know. I know. Must a couple be rough. Fellas that work here at the station who uh, might take offense at what you just said. Oh, Not no, about they, the Boise State part, but certainly about the Idaho the part. Idaho no, part. they they both agree with me. Where do both of them live? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but their families are there. You whiny bunch of SOBs. Where, where did both of them choose to go to college and leave Idaho? Yeah, but home is home. You know, I've, I've been to Texas. Yeah, they, yeah, their home is <laughs> both their homes are in Utah. And not on the border, right? Not yeah, not on the border. Several either. hours away. <laughs> right. So let me I mean ask one you guys one of this. them is the voice of Utah State for crying out loud. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's abandoned home. Yeah. Home is home. Right? Yeah. Maybe and so they well. live here. Where do their taxes go? <laughs> when they pay them. Okay. So if these people in southern and eastern Oregon and northern uh, California want to be part of Idaho now because they're, you know, they're more rural and they, maybe they want to be more Republican than Democrat and all that sort of thing. So that, what part of Utah do you think would be most eager to be annexed by some other state? The Cove. What state, though? Uh, yeah, California. No. Salt Lake City. No. Salt Lake, yeah, sorry. Salt Lake no. City is considerably different politically than a lot of other parts of Utah. I'll bet there's. I'll bet there are some in the Draper Lehigh area that would like to switch spots. They live in Draper, but think more like you would think traditionally in Lehigh, and vice versa. What Here, are you trying to say there? What you were trying to say that Salt Lake is traditionally a little different politically than Utah County. And you think that uh, you think that Draper sees itself more as a Utah County kind of outfit? I said I think there are probably some in Draper who think more like those do in Lehigh, and some in Lehigh who think more like those do in Salt Lake County. I'm uncomfortable with stereotypes in general. You know what? Uh, you, you know what? Sorry? I sorry. No. <laughs> sorry, Draper. <laughs> I bet you. Uh, I bet you Arizona 
would love to give either Utah or Nevada that the Virgin River Gorge. Well, I thought that was the whole reason Utah didn't have it is because they were trying to hang on to it. Well, they have to they have to maintain that whole stretch of I-15 and it doesn't benefit them at all. Well, then why are they clinging to it? I don't know. Why? You tell me. Because it's a it's a beautiful uh, territory. I I don't know. I don't know. But that that 15 minutes that you're actually in Arizona between St. George and Mesquite, I don't think it's doing a whole lot for Arizona. Okay, so let me ask you this: If you could vote for it, and uh, you and you could get some of Colorado, maybe some of Idaho, some of Arizona, maybe a little bit of Nevada, and add that into the state, would you vote for or again? Oh no, because Mesquite is awesome, specifically for the reason that it's not in Utah. <laughs> See, Jake likes his vices, just doesn't like them in his state. <laughs> well, at least want them available. What state do you think Salt Lake City, the metropolitan area, fits into if it were to somehow shift to a different state? Which uh, state would you consider? I'm Arkansas. With stereotypes. So. <laughs> you Arkansas. Arkansas? Arkansas. I don't know. What is he, Gordon, even asking there? I'm just wondering because it does seem to be uh, a little, oh, what's the word? A little more progressive. And other parts of, of Utah, you know, <laughs> not picking sides here, just saying. No, I don't know. Price is very progressive. All right. Well, we'll it see. It is. It's border. actually a traditional Democratic stronghold. Price. Yeah. Price. Yeah, yeah. Jan Jorgensen's price. That's helper. But yeah. Oh, isn't that the same? Uh, stay tuned. <laughs> We're talking to Bowler coming up next. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.